0: Hello, everyone. Uh, Today, I have a really exciting guest. He is a veteran of the War of Afghanistan. He is the author of the book, Caveman to Philosopher, and the host of two podcasts, uh, Hermit Radio and Taking Back Happiness, uh, Cameron Harmon. Uh, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: So, yeah, I guess there's, there's a bunch of places that we could start with this. um, Why don't I just sort of turn it over to you and allow you to introduce yourself um, and talk about your projects in your own words? Because you do a lot of stuff. I want to make sure that it gets across properly.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm a veteran. um, And based on the title of my book, that can probably sum up all of me. I was a mindless person, kind of just living life based on emotions and reactions, um, and then I had a moment or several moments of self-consciousness that led me to become a you know philosopher or a spiritual teacher, and that's what I spend my time doing now, and my book and my podcasts are ways of me giving back to humanity to try and help people either find the spiritual path that they're looking for or just to bring back some happiness into their lives.
0: That's awesome. So why don't you uh, just take me through the timeline of everything. Um, so when did you join the military? Um, w- at what times were you in Afghanistan? When did you come home? And when did you decide you needed to not only make significant changes in your life, but help others also make significant changes?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I, at growing up, I lived a, I lived a good life. Um, there wasn't really much that I could complain about. I was alive for 9-11, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then when 9-11 happened, I was, a, I was a kid. But even then, something about that uh, event kind of evoked something in me that I felt like I, I had a patriotic duty to do something. And most of my, the male members of my family were in the military. So I felt only natural that that was what I would be doing with my life. And then in 2008, I joined the Army. Uh, 2010, I was active duty and I graduated high school and as soon as I was done with high school, I went into active duty service. In 2011 to 2012, I was in Afghanistan uh, doing a special operations mission called um, Village Stability Operations with different aspects of special operations. Um, I myself was a regular infantry guy, but my battalion got tasked to do some kind of special operations work. So that's what the primary focus of my mission in afghanistan was um but we did lots of things there we we even though we had like this said mission we kind of got to do a lot of things that most people didn't get to do we got to make our own missions we got to basically set the parameters for the things that we did um it wasn't just about getting into gunfights and it wasn't just about looking for bad guys we did lots of different things we acted as a hospital at times We helped um, build the local government and train the local police and the Afghan army to help get them to to a good security level, and then try to reestablish the local government with the big government. Now, there's a lot in there that could be dissected, but Mm -hmm. that's basically what we were doing. 2012, uh, 2012, I came back, um, and at that point... I was kind of you know, in a bad place, it, it hadn't really fully manifested yet, but I did have PTSD and I had still several more years in the army to go, I didn't get out until 2017, but um, in the later years of me being in the army, my PTSD started manifesting itself and I started having fits of rage and um, auditory hallucinations and some, you know, some significant problems. When I get out of the military, I have a freedom that I've never had before, which is mainly just like freedom of time. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of free time, which allowed me to realize how significant my problems were and how deeply rooted in my trauma I was, which, of course, naturally led me to want to get out of that. Like I had this moment of clarity. I'm like, I'm angry all the time. What can I do to fix it? Mm -hmm. Which led me into learning about things like mindfulness and Buddhism and meditation and that, that little bit right there, that little taste of something else led me into learning about all of the religions and trying to deeply study them to understand kind of the nature of this world and why we do the things that we do, um, only to realize that what I was really looking for was myself, having self-realization, becoming a conscious human being, or as I put it in my book, a philosopher, right, which is really just a deep thinker. Um, All of these traditions and philosophies they all have even though they're different in some ways they're all the same in some ways too they're all pointing at, you know what what is the basic thing about life it's to live it your life is to live it there is no purpose greater than that Mm is just to live it and pain and suffering are an equal part of this everybody wants to be happy all the time but that is not the way that this life goes Uh Uh, it's just it's it's not there's no way to avoid pain and suffering and when I, that, that single thing right there was what led to most of the change in my life.
0: Okay. So now it's it's twenty seventeen. You said you're making changes in your life. Um so
1: what 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 came first? The podcast or the book? The podcast. Okay. <clears throat> when I started going through some of these dramatic changes and kind of having a little bit of freedom from some of the traumas that I was experiencing. The first thing that I thought was that I this is too good to not share with people. Mm. I, I need to share this because there's so many people that are dealing with stuff like me. There are people who have PTSD, not just from war, but just from everyday life. There are people who have anxiety and depression, and they don't know how to deal with it. And I felt at the time that I had something to give back to people. And so that's why I started that podcast.
0: Okay. And that podcast has been going on for a while now, right you, when, yes. when did you start it?
1: Um, I started Hermit Radio in 2019.
0: Okay that's that's pretty awesome. I, I, I don't know the actual statistics, but I'm guessing most podcasts fall apart after you know, two or three episodes in a couple of months. Um, yeah so you know obviously you're very committed um, to it. and then when did you when did the book come along?
1: So I just published the book um, over the summer. Okay. So just a couple months ago is when I actually published the book. Um, it took me a year to write it because I was writing it during COVID, uh-huh. and I um, because of COVID, I lost my full time job, and I went back to school. I had the army the army benefit to go back to college, and so I did. So I was writing the book during school and mm-hmm. during COVID. So it took a it took a while, but I mean, I still managed to to get it done.
0: Okay. And then what's sort of your main message of the book?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's funny you ask that because mm-hmm. I was thinking about that prior to, the, to this podcast. Um, the best way that I could describe it is uh, like Morpheus in the movie The Matrix when okay. he's offering, you know, the red pill or the blue pill. I like to think of my book as kind of a baby red pill. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't give you the all of it. It's not going to help you change your life completely, but it's at least a place to start.
0: Okay, that's awesome. And then you've got this uh, relatively new project as well, the Taking Back Happiness podcast. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about that as well and what you're trying to do there?
1: Yeah, you know, so my uh, first podcast, Hermit Radio, is more about philosophy, religion, and spirituality. And that's not for everyone. And I've realized, and I it's obvious, you know, not everybody's into those things. Um, and what I wanted to do with Hermit Radio was to set people free and to give people a different way of thinking and seeing life. But what I've le- realized through the last you know year and a half or two years of COVID and stuff like that is that sometimes that, that is too much for people. That's mm-hmm. too – like people can't even hardly get out of bed sometimes, let alone – try to adopt a brand new philosophy or religion. So I thought that I could just dumb it down by bringing them ideas about, by bringing people ideas about how to be happy again, you know, because that's really what we're talking about, right? Yeah. You can set aside spirituality and religion because those are, those are something more of like even hobbies, you know, you can pick those up at any time. But to just be happy is your natural human right. And through the last two years, people have been losing that right, that freedom to be happy. And it's not just the last two years that have made it a problem. Really, society, for thousands of years, has made happiness a problem. Um, and I can get into that deeper, if you wish. But ba- the basic means is that I just want to give people the seeds, right? Plant a little seed when people are listening to this to think about what makes them happy and how can they get more of it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's really awesome. Actually, I, I would like to talk more about... Um, s- your idea of society making happiness a problem and really dig into that because uh, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things there.
1: Yeah. Um, well, then let me start by okay. asking you a question, yeah. if you don't mind. Okay. On If you could take your life and put it into a ratio, like a pie chart, mm-hmm. how much of your life do you get to do what you want to do versus what you have to do?
0: Um... Hmm. <laughs> Probably very roughly forty percent of the time compared to sixty percent of the time forty percent being what I want to do sixty percent being what I have to do um, that might be I don't know I guess thinking saying it out loud it probably sounds better than what a lot of people do like I don't I don't have kids I don't have family members I'm taking care of I have a dog um, <laughs> My job isn't particularly demanding most of the time, um, but I'm sure there's also people who get to do way more stuff that they want to do. Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll turn it back to you and let you respond to
1: that. Honestly, that's a good yeah. ratio. I've talked to people who say that their life is ninety percent of what they don't want to do wow. versus ten percent of what they want to do. <clears throat> so. You're not off base. Okay. What you're saying is correct. But where but where, do that, where does that idea meet in the middle? The idea is that most of us are doing lots of stuff that we don't want to do versus things that we do actually want to do. And my point is, is that if this is the only life you get,
2: mm-hmm. this is the
1: only time you get to be a human alive, why is it you're wasting so much time doing what you don't want to do?
0: Yeah, that's, that's such a great point. It's such a hard point to contend with. Um, I feel like it's very easy to kind of put those thoughts off to the side and just sort of, you know, grate your teeth and grind through it. Um, but you know, you're right. As, as far as we know, we only have one life, um, and a lot of it is spent doing things we we don't really enjoy doing, and not even things we don't enjoy doing, things that actively upset us. And you know, a lot of those are behaviors that we choose to or we engage in of our own volition, things like hatred and um drug abuse, i, I guess maybe not of our own volition, but things that are kind of self-imposed that we put on ourselves
1: right yes and that's that's it you know the movie the matrix right it's it's a really good movie but it's also a it's it's also a real life story Mm -hmm. right take away take away the machines right like in the movie we're talking about the villains of the machines right but what is that an analogy for that's an analogy for the government for society for the machine that is the society that we live in right and in the movie humans are hooked up and they're being used as batteries That's not really much different than what we're doing today. You consuming, you paying taxes, you buying things, you going to work, that's all contributing, that's giving energy to the society that we live in. Mm -hmm. Now, that has been a thing forever, right? We have been constantly doing this, feeding this machine, and it's been growing and evolving, right? That's what society is. But my argument here is that it's not, that is not 100% what the problem is. What the problem is is that humans don't know how to live life properly. We commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to these things, to these ideals, and they're not real.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're they're imaginary, like money, right? Money used to be backed by gold. It used to have like meaning. Money has no meaning. It is just paper. It's just a thing that you accumulate so that you can purchase goods yeah. and do these things.
0: It's not even really paper anymore. Now it's mostly just numbers on a screen. Even it's even even yeah. less real, <laughs> I think.
1: But what. But we're yeah. obsessed with it, yes. right? We, we dedicate our lives to getting more of it. And we can see that even with people who are rich, right, people who are billionaires, millionaires, right, they're bored. They can't mm-hmm. even sustain that, right? Like for entertainment for them is building building a rocket and mm-hmm. going up in the face for 10 minutes yeah, because that's their level of boredom, right? Whereas, like, level of boredom for you and me means, like, thank God we have an hour to sit down and watch Netflix or mm-hmm. a couple hours to watch Netflix, right? It's, it's scaled, right? But it's all the same. Whether you have money or you don't have money, it's the same. Mm-hmm. You're just pretending. You're just pretending to be a human participating in society. But nobody's happy. Nobody's really enjoying it. Nobody re- Very few people have a job that they absolutely love that brings them fulfillment, that they actually love going to work to do. Very few people have that. Mm-hmm. Instead, what we have is a job that we probably don't love or enjoy, working for a boss that we don't probably enjoy because they're imposing strict rules on us or treating us like garbage right now take that concept this is an experience i had while i was in the military i always had to do what somebody else told me to do i never had any freedom to do it what i wanted to do and most of the people that were in charge of me were morons they're not actually smarter or better than me they're just in a place of rank right societal class a higher class than me so that gives them rules or rule over me that still applies in society today politicians these wealthy elites somehow they have dominion over you but again it's just an illusion it's not real we just accept it because we collectively as society say oh yeah that makes sense we're just gonna allow that to happen
0: yeah no I think you're absolutely right um, and I I think it, a lot of it's not even necessarily our own faults, you know, life can be so overwhelming that a lot of the time it's just, it's easiest to accept things as they are, and, um, you know, the, the problems seem so big that it, just, it doesn't seem like investing any energy into them would be worth it, so, you know, I, I, you know, I think everyone is guilty of kind of that putting your head in the sand attitude and just, you know... Things are relatively okay. Your life isn't in imminent danger. So just sort of go with it. Um, But, you know, there's this struggle where it's like life could always be better. But you also should be content with what you have. And finding that balance, I think, is one of the... in, In that balance is, I think, true happiness. And I think that's sort of the ultimate struggle for people is how do you improve your life without being obsessed with improving your life
1: yes now all of the things that I just stated about society right like all of those are inherently true but you, you mentioned a very good part which is that nobody really wants to do anything about it right it's not like we could just give up this society the way that we mm-hmm. do it it's not like we could just give up money that easy or give up having jobs that easy but what we can do is learn how to live with that and make decisions for ourselves, right? Because you don't have to stay at that job if it doesn't bring you happiness. You don't have to live in a place that doesn't bring you happiness. You can be in the world, but not of it, right? And how we do that. That's where, the, for me, the Eastern philosophies of like Buddhism, Zen, and Tao um, are the most beneficial to me. Um, because it's, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, right? Like there's life, which is that there's going to be happiness and there's going to be pain right? Maybe the pain in your life is going to work or doing this job that you don't like. So then how do you balance that, right? Mm -hmm. What are you doing for yourself? This is the problem is that most people spend so much time working and doing what they don't want to do that they forget how to do the things that they want to do, or they're so burnt out, they don't make time for the things that they want to do. Something simple like going camping or playing video games, right? But the caveat to that is that if you don't realize those things bring you happiness or that you don't fully live in those things then it's not going to actually bring you happiness because then even going camping or playing video games it's not if you're not fully in it. if you're not mindful of what you're doing then it's just like everything else you know you'll find a way to suffer right when you're playing a video game and you're not doing well and you're getting frustrated at the game are you enjoying it are you fully living or are you just being angry at this thing like everything else in your life Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I think that's a really Really good and important point. Um so I, I so how do how do you make time in your own life to do things that make you happy? What are some of the skills that you've developed for that? And you know, what well, what can I'm, you share I'm with very everyone blessed. Else?
1: I'm I'm very blessed that I have um I have a part time job, so I don't have to work like a full time job like everybody else right now. Because my full time job is going to school. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm, I'm blessed, like going to school for me, I like learning, I like doing that kind of thing, I like reading, so that for me is a good thing, and that's, and that's given me time to kind of like be fully invested in that, but when I'm not doing school and when I'm not at work, I read books for myself, I meditate, I try to remember this idea of mindfulness, like whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm at, I try to be mindful, even if it's not something that I fully enjoy, even if it's not something that I really want to be doing, I know that that is just a simple flip of a switch in my mind, and if I can do that, then I can make anywhere my home.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So it's it seems like attitude is really kind of the biggest thing for you.
1: Yes, and it's not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't want anybody to be disillusioned. You know, I'm. Of course, there are times when you know, like I'm doing something, or I'm somewhere where I don't really want to be, or I'm you know not really enjoying it. But the difference is, is that I try to not let it impact me that way, right? I try mm-hmm. to not let it completely – because before, right, like the, the example before when I was a, you know, caveman, is that I'd be angry and I would take it out on people around me. And, you know, sometimes I still do, but it's definitely way less than it used to be because mm-hmm. I'm mindful of it now. Um, I try to not make it other people's faults, right? If I'm not happy, it's my fault, uh-huh. right? If, it, if something is impacting me and I'm angry – Nobody is making me angry, right? Nobody makes you angry. Only you make you angry. Yes. You can change that. You can change. Because, again, and then another aspect of this is knowing what your thoughts are. What are your thoughts? Your thoughts aren't real either. You Mm -hmm. think they are because they're always happening. But your thoughts are like clouds in the sky. They come and they go. Mm -hmm. They change. They might not be the same shape. They might not be the same color. But regardless, they're going to come and go and that's just part of it but when we attach to them right when we grab them out of the cloud of our mind when we grab them and we're like okay I like this particular thought um that's that's what can cause problems if it's a negative one like Uh for example I really hate what I'm doing or I'm a shitty person or you know I'm really depressed if we grab that cloud and we hang on to it and we identify with it that's what you become so change the frequency of your thoughts Instead of grabbing onto the ones that are rainy and gloomy, grab onto the ones that are happy and vibrationally full of color, right? Like, oh, man, I'm going to make today a good day. I'm, I'm going to make time for this today. Ooh, I'm excited to read this book today, mm. right? And when you catch yourself doing that, it becomes easier to do it every day and every moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and one, one of the things I've heard you say um, on your, your podcast is happiness is more than anything is a practice, And that's something I've really come to believe in the last couple of weeks or so, especially. Um, I had never really put it into those words, but one quote that really hit me hard was, uh, most people are as happy as they set out to be. Um, That was from Abraham Lincoln, I believe. Um, One of the things I do when I'm lost emotionally is I just like, Find quotes I really like and write them down, and that was one of them. Um, but it's it's work. It's a skill that you need to work on. And one of the other things I've kind of heard you say is most people never practice being happy. Um, it's there's sort of this weird expectation that you know happiness is your should be your kind of default emotion, and you know, you can be either happy, or you can be more happy. Like whenever you know someone asks you how you're doing, like you're 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 supposed to say I'm doing well. You, no no one has is ever supposed to say I'm doing okay or I'm doing you know bad. Um, when you say you don't say you're sick, you say I'm not feeling good. Like there's this expectation that we're supposed to be happy all the time, and I think it's actually one of the things that drives us crazy and makes us miserable.
1: Yes. And, you know, the expectation that you're always going to be happy, right? Like, that's part of the problem is that mm-hmm. we think that we can always 100% be happy without sadness or whatever. Um, that is an illusion, too. Mm-hmm. So when we can be comfortable just being, right? So this is a, So we're, I'm talking about a, a kind of a place beyond happiness, right? Because the goal first is to learn how to deal with these things, right? Being happy, sad, angry, whatever. But when you understand those things, you can go beyond it and just accept that all of those things are part of life and just be. You stop. Because the problem is right now you're trying to be something, right? You're trying to be happy or you're trying to be enlightened or you're trying to be, you know, an astronaut, whatever it is. The problem is you're trying. You're trying too hard. Mm -hmm. And happiness is a practice. Because the reason that that's important, because this is kind of a two-pronged approach here the reason you need to learn to practice being happy is because right now we live in a society where most people are exuberantly unhappy and it's making us miserable and mentally unstable mm-hmm. so if you don't know how to deal with that you can't i mean you can't even go beyond anything else so practicing learning how to be happy or practicing compassion for other people That is the first step in going beyond those emotions. Mm -hmm. Once you learn how to do that, you can go beyond those things, and then you just become a human being, right? Do you notice that word, human being? You're just being. You're Mm -hmm. not anything else. You're not this person you're trying to pretend to be. You're just being. You're Mm -hmm. allowing your happiness to be. You're allowing your sadness to be, because it all has value, right? uh, Jim Carrey, I, I saw this thing the other day that I really liked he was talking about depression he was like depression deep rest because you're needing to be deeply in rest mm-hmm. and that is what depression is right and you know it's kind of like this concept we've talked you know we talk about this a lot now in society it's okay to be sad and it's okay to have like mental health days whereas in the past you know 20 30 years ago that wouldn't have been okay that would be like you're gonna take a mental health day right yeah. <laughs> Because everybody's pretending that they don't have mental health problems. Now we live in a place where people are recognizing that everybody has mental health problems. Everyone has anxiety. Everyone has depression. So we're moving closer to this place that I'm talking about. We're in the stage right now where collectively, at least in the West, we're learning how to accept the sadness, the anger, and the depression that we have. And then eventually, people will get to, people are starting to do this now, but we'll get into a place where we're practicing active happiness. And then when people can master that, they will move into this place that I'm talking about where it's just everyone is being, everybody is accepting of what is.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think changed in society that's allowing us to be more accepting of or acknowledging the importance of mental health and accepting? of people having issues with mental health. Was there a a switch that you think happened, or it's just something that needed was going to come along regardless?
1: I think people are just realizing how um, deeply depressed they are, Mm -hmm. and it's happening more and more and more and more and more people are becoming depressed. Because when we live in it, our society is collectively insane. (laughs) what we do every day it's insanity people people are literally insane they've convinced themselves that you know i'm a democrat i'm a republican i'm this i'm red i'm blue Mm -hmm. I'm, you know this or that that. that's collective insanity because all of that none of that matters when you die Mm -hmm. so why should it matter when you live it's just Mm -hmm. idea we're all pretending we're all pretending to be somebody and something that's what's making us insane because nobody wants to do that everybody just wants to be themselves how many people have to pretend, right? Like how many, how many people for so long had to pretend to not be gay mm-hmm. because it wasn't the societal norm, right? That can make you insane. Yeah. How many people had to pretend to be a man when they really wanted to be a woman? That can drive you insane. So now take those concepts and then to your normal human self, how many of us are pretending to be a bank accountant or an astronaut when we don't want to be that? We just want to be us. We just want to sit on the couch and eat Ben and Jerry's and watch Netflix (laughs) until our eyes bleed because we're just so sad. Mm -hmm. So I think over the last 10, possibly 20 years, the collective insanity has just made people depressed to the point where they're kind of cracking and we've had been forced as a society to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest switch, if there was a switch that could be flipped, it was COVID. COVID brought everybody to their knees Uh and forced people to be, Depressed and sad and scared about the world and we all kind of we were all feeling it at the same time so nobody could deny that it was real
0: yeah COVID definitely did a lot of things Um, I think spending all that time at home for many people just by themselves definitely is a big trigger for a lot of people you know either to make really good changes in their lives or to sort of acknowledge the the bad patterns in their lives um so you know co- COVID has done some good <laughs> you, I you can't say yeah. it's it's been all bad um but I, I you know I think COVID also also the Trump administration has made everyone everyone really crazy and polarized and kind of ready to See, every like people on the other side as an enemy, and has made people more willing to kind of fall into identity politics and do really identify overly with their ideals. Like I'm Democrat, I'm Republican, I'm Christian, I'm Jewish, I'm Southern, I'm Northern, whatever. Like these are. You know, they're they're these are parts of you, but they're not you. You know, they're not who you are. So, you know, I I think it's very damaging to think that way. And but it's it's at the same token, it's very easy to think that way. We find so much joy and meaning in our communities that it's it's so easy to take that from where it's a good thing to where eventually it becomes a hurtful thing.
1: Yes. And, you know, you can't really blame anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you, don't know, if you don't know what your thoughts are, if you don't know what this life really is or what you're doing here, then, yeah, of course you're going to get wrapped up in identity politics and you're going to – because everybody wants to be right. Yeah, That's the problem. Everybody wants to be right. Like, my position is, is better than yours. I'm better than you. That's what it comes down to. I want to be right and I want to be better than you because my position is better than yours, right? And some of it's based in good intentions, right? Like not everybody that's wrapped up in that is, is doing it for ill intent. You know, people, it can be challenging to see the good in people when this kind of thing's going on, right? Because things have gotten so, um, the flames have been fanned for a while now and it's gotten the wildfires just out of control and people are so hateful of each other that it's hard to see why they are acting that way. They they do want the best, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's you believe that, you know, your freedoms are being taken away and so you're afraid of that or you're afraid that these people are hateful or, you know, racist or whatever, whatever it is. There is a place where it's coming from good intention, but then there's also a place where it's coming from wanting to be right, wanting to be on the right side of history and not wanting to be associated with somebody that's deemed bad, right? Yeah. But, again, we're not looking at people. We're looking at ideals. We're looking at philosophies. We're not looking at the people because anybody that's this person or on this side, right, if you were to spend the day with them looking at their lives, you might find that they're not really a bad person. Yeah. And They just have different ideas than you. And that doesn't make them bad. That just makes them different.
0: Yeah. yeah and, and I think we spend so much time associating with people that are either similar to us ideologically or we spend or we become similar to them ideologically because we're spending so much time with them you know we, we, at least I personally spend very little time with people that think different than me and that's not even necessarily because I planned it out that way it's just I think that that is how life does tend to work you Tend to get grouped in with people that think the same way that you do, and it's it's probably not a good thing. Um, so I wanted to ask you. So when you you came out of the military and you were struggling with PTSD and you were having anger issues, um, so did you seek any therapy or medical treatment for that, or were you was your kind of um, religious and spiritual studies your main way of dealing dealing with those emotions?
1: So, yeah, when I was in the military, I was going to counseling because mm-hmm. it got to a point where I was so out of control that I was, like, getting in trouble. Okay. So um, I did have to start going to counseling in the military. And this is not a knock on therapy or mm-hmm. counseling. It works for, for people. It just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And it's probably just because I never had the right person to talk to. But I can summarize my experiences with a counselor that I had, um, the last conversation we had was, if you're not going to take the pills, get the fuck out of my office and quit bitching. Mm-hmm. So I did. I never came back. And then when I got out of the military, I went to a therapist and was going to start doing like civilian therapy. And during, you know, me talking, my therapist fell asleep, like while I was talking to him. Uh-huh. And so that was off-putting. Um, but what I've, what I came to believe from those experiences was that Somebody else wasn't going to help me fix me. I needed to fix me. Yeah. And so that was my route. That was how I had to do it. I had to do it myself.
0: Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you had um, such negative experiences around therapy. Um, but it, it does sound... So, you know, I, I don't know. I've had personally a lot of success with therapy. Um, but... So... <laughs> I don't really have a question there other than, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry your experiences were so negative. So it's okay. It? Like, yeah.
1: here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's suffering, right? Yeah. Trying to be somebody who's suffering and trying to fix the suffering of others. That's a very difficult place to be in. I don't hold anything against any of the people that I met. They're lovely people. They were, you just weren't in a place to help me. I was the only one in the place to help me. Mm-hmm. And the, the first counselor that I was in the military she was in the military she had seen atrocities she probably had pain that she wasn't dealing with and but yet she was trying to help me with my own and I just I, I think that that for me particularly it just needed to be me that did it because I held all the okay. the keys answers in myself
0: mm-hmm. um do you think your time in Afghanistan or how, how do you think your time in Afghanistan influenced you on this sort of new journey other than you know you you came out and you were really struggling were there things that you took away from your time overseas either positive or negative that influenced the way that you think now or have thought in the past
1: yes you know um because breaking it down as far as suffering goes right um the things that happened to me and the things that I saw, I used to blame them on everybody but myself. I used to blame our government for that. I used to blame the Afghan people for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, everybody, everybody but myself. But ultimately, one of the things that I had to confront and accept was that I was the one that chose to go there. Uh-huh. I signed up. I picked a very dangerous job. And I joined at a time when we were deploying and going to there. Yeah. So the only person that I should have been mad at was myself.
0: Okay. That's a that's that's a very interesting way to think about it. Um, do you and I, I do you feel like you were ever, I guess, lied to about what we were doing over there and what was achievable over there? Um, you know, you said you, your battalion was able to sort of self-direct. Um, I guess when when you were there, do you feel like you were? Did you feel like you were accomplishing things and doing things that gave you meaning and fulfillment and helping people, or were you just? Was it just bad? Was it were you just suffering?
1: Um. You know, war has only one purpose, which is death, mm-hmm. and. For me, I was lucky I never actually had to kill anybody. Mm -hmm. I got close, and there were times where my anger led me to be in a place where I almost took people's lives, Mm -hmm. but honestly, when I was there, I spent more time trying to fix people than I did trying to kill people, but every chance or every time you leave the gate, the wire, every time you go out on a mission there's that risk. There are yeah. people around you all the time. And your job is to identify them, look at them and then determine whether they're a target or they're friendly or whatever. But I'll tell you that when I got there, the people that I interacted with, they couldn't even read or write in their own language, mm-hmm. let alone be capable of planning these devastating attacks or even come to the United States to do an attack or something mm-hmm. like that. It was quite disturbing to see that the people that we had been led to believe were these terrorists were just farmers and peasants, Mm -hmm. just real basic people that just wanted to live. As a matter of fact, the only time that I ever got like threatened or blown up or whatever, or like attacked was when we were trying to go into places that we didn't belong. Mm -hmm. They were just trying to protect what was theirs. We would do the same thing if anybody invaded our country. And so it did change me. It really reinforced my stance. The war is just unnecessary. Okay. We have no reason to be doing that, invading other people. Like oh, of course, you know, there is a certain level of self-defense. But what we were doing was not self-defense. You know, it, it's very difficult, you know, to wrap up twenty years of war in like a simple statement from me, not that anybody even cares what I have mm-hmm. to say or think, but it's it's another learning experience. Okay. We can't change that we did it, but we can learn from the fact that we did it. And Innocent people died, bad people died, our people died. The question we have to ask ourselves moving forward in the future is, is any of that worth it, Mm -hmm. truly?
0: Yeah, I I think that's the question we have to ask about everything we do, I I guess. Um, So I I guess I had a a few more questions about your time in... uh, in the military. So was it, was it sort of what you expected it to be? Did it, Or, or was it completely different? Or were certain yeah, things like it, you expected and certain things just not what you expected?
1: Yeah, none of it was what I expected. Okay. Um, and I actually write about that in the book. Um, growing up, you know, so like I grew up in a military family. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I was led to believe that it was like this brotherhood, right? Like this band of brothers and watching all the TV shows like Band of Brothers you get that same belief and concept, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I got in, I found out very quickly that it was nowhere near that. Okay. It was full of very angry people, people who were suffering and needed a place to kind of vent and to kind of get mm-hmm. that frustration out of them. Lost people, people mm-hmm. who didn't have homes, people who were addicted to drugs, or people who were in gangs or whatever. People had every. Most people that are in the military. Wow. You know, they're either there because they want to be patriotic or they're there because they didn't have anywhere else to be. Yeah. And so, for people who are patriotic and really just want to be there for the right thing, they tend to get bullied by everybody else and they tend to get picked on because they seem to be brown nosers and just suck ups. And that was me. Everybody thought that I was just trying to be a kiss ass. And really, I was just trying to do a good job. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, you know, what happens to anybody when they're bullied long enough? They change who they are so that they don't get bullied. And for me, I had to change who I was to be able to protect myself. And part of that was doing steroids so that I was physically more intimidating by being aggressive and by being basically the biggest asshole that I could be. Mm -hmm. And guess what? As soon as I started doing that, I stopped getting bullied. I stopped getting picked on. And people respected me more because of how aggressive I was. and then eventually, that just became my identity. It's like I've been doing this long enough that that's just who I've become. Is I'm just this big asshole, just doing steroids.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so you were doing steroids while you were in the military. Yes. And um, how did that impact just every? <laughs> I guess your your life. Uh, if you don't if you don't
1: mind talking about that. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it made me really slow. I used to be able to run really fast. And then when I started gaining weight, like people knew people could see me and they Uh knew that I was getting bigger Um, and I, I just got slow. That was one of the biggest impacts. And so it was really hard to keep up like the military like fitness because I was so I was strong but mm-hmm. I was not fast. I was slowing down. Okay. Um, you know, of course it, it added a level of aggressiveness, you know, but if you're already an aggressive person, the steroids just enhance that. Um, but I mean, it's, it made me good at my job, it made me aggressive It made me, um, mean and strong. And I built up an ego and a facade to keep that up. And so it worked for me until it didn't.
0: Uh huh. And then did you continue to do steroids, well, throughout your time in the military?
1: Um, so it was really, yeah, it was about like halfway. So after I got back from Afghanistan is when I started. Okay. And then when I moved to a new duty station, I was stationed at Fort Campbell in um, Tennessee. Um, I was still doing it off and on because I was trying, at that point, I was changing what I wanted to do to be a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. So I was training for that. Um, and so I was doing competition or trying to do competitions. I did like one or two while I was in the military and, you know, it was fun, but again, it was just, it was just all pretending, you know, it's what it really came down to is I was just pretending to be somebody else. Cause I didn't like who I was. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's really amazing. Kind of this real, really winding road that you've you've taken. Um, so where do you, where do you see your road going? What do you what are your kind of your goals for for the future? I know you you've got your two podcasts. Um, what what else do you see for yourself and what else are you aspiring for in your life?
1: Yeah, so right now I'm going to school to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a history teacher possibly. a master's degree and be a religious studies teacher i don't know yet Mm -hmm. um so that's where my life is currently heading but what do i want to do i want to write more books Mm -hmm. i want to inspire people i want to bring happiness and understanding to people so that because here's the thing right this is the reality what do i want i want freedom i want people to be free and the only way that people can be free is if they know who they truly are and if they know how to be happy And for us to kind of collectively as society to stop hating each other and to love each other, forgive each other, and be happy. That's the only way that any one of us can have true freedom. Mm -hmm. All the things that we want can only be possible when we stop hating each other and when we let go of all of the things that are traumatizing us and making us angry. So I want to be a part of that. I want to help people let go of that.
0: That's awesome. Um, So what do you think? How can people be less hateful? towards other people well, what do you what do you think about that
1: well the biggest thing is forgiveness uh-huh. you know and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because i meant to say this earlier but here's the thing okay why forgive right this is like something that's very big in spiritual practice and mm-hmm. in religion like you know jesus talks about it buddha forgives t- t- uh, talks about it forgiveness why is this so important I forgive anyone of what they do to you or to anyone else right first because you want to be forgiven of what you have done have you made mistakes in your life mm-hmm. yes so have i but we are never going to be okay with that we're never going to learn to get past it if we don't a forgive ourselves and when we can forgive ourselves it becomes much easier to forgive other people mm-hmm. this was something that i really struggled with when i was kind of going through this journey was this idea, you know, Jesus talks about, like, forgiveness, you know, forgive everyone, you know, have no enemies, forgive them. And so I kind of went down a running list, right? I'm like, all right, who, who am I angry at? Who do, who do I need to forgive? I need to forgive the government, right? Mm-hmm. It's not their fault that I went to Afghanistan. It's my fault. I need to forgive the Afghan people. It's not their fault that they tried to kill me. It's my fault. Mm-hmm. And then I'm running down this list, and I'm like, you know, how can you really forgive everybody, like, people who abuse children, How could you forgive them? And that was the big one. That was the one I kept getting stuck on. Like, Mm -hmm. how could I forgive people who abuse children? And in my thought, in my head, while I'm thinking about this, I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, I would, I would hunt those people down. I would hunt them down and I would torture them and I would hurt them in in unimaginable ways. Mm -hmm. And then it hit me. I'm like, oh, that's how I forgive them because I'm no better. Whether I'm cutting up people and torturing people because of what they're doing or somebody's hurting children, it's still pain, it's still suffering. Mm-hmm. No, I would still go to jail, right? Like in, yeah. in accordance with law, that's still just as bad as somebody who's hurting a child, right? It wouldn't matter, I'd still go to jail. So in the grand scheme of things, we forgive people because we all fuck up. We yeah. all make mistakes. You don't have to like them, you don't have to... Open them with, or welcome them with open arms. But you do need to forgive them because the people that you're not forgiving are the people that are getting you hung up on your own happiness.
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah, it's it's so um, frustrating to see people unable to move on with their lives because they have all these emotions invested in someone else or something else that's just not productive and not a part of their life anymore um, and to to give someone else that power to control your life honestly is you know you're the main person you're hurting with your hatred is yourself this right. is something that I, I've come to learn and it's just it's toxic it's for you but at the same time it's so easy to get angry and to be hateful it's often it's much easier to do that than to really truly forgive a person. So, you know, I think it's another one of those, so forgiveness, I guess, is, is like happiness. It's a skill that we need to practice and practice right. a lot in order to get good at. Um, otherwise, we're just gonna fall into our first instinct, which is usually to be hateful and bitter and, you know, it's, it's okay if that is your first instinct. The last person I had on this podcast, you know, made a great point about first reactions and second reactions. You know, your first reaction is usually something you can't control. And it's okay to feel that way. That's It's usually natural, but it's your second reaction where you really have the influence over your own life to move things in a direction that's positive.
1: Mm-hmm. So here's a good here's a good example that I've used on my podcast numerous times, right? It's like this idea of being stuck in traffic, mm-hmm. right? Nobody likes being stuck in traffic. Everybody hates it, especially when somebody cuts you off or does something, right? We automatically assume that it's like because they were they're doing it to us, right? Yeah. Right. They're they're cutting us off because they wanted to, right? It was just this hateful, spiteful thing they do. How many people do you know that something like that happens to them and then that's all they think about for the whole day?
0: Um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure of enough, a, a number, but I'm, I'm sure at least some people. Exactly.
1: And if it's not traffic, it's, you know, somebody at their job, right? Somebody comes in and says something that pisses them off or says, you know, sets them off the rock, the wrong way or their family, somebody says something that sets them off the wrong way and then they get hung up on it and then they spend the whole day letting it ruin their whole day because they're, they're so hung up on it. Right. But what we're doing is we're a person, we're making it personal right Mm -hmm. when somebody cuts you off in traffic is it really because they were doing it to you or were they just doing what they needed to do to get from point a to point b Mm -hmm. right that sounds a lot less damning than when somebody's doing it to you on purpose right or you know we i mean it's all the things that we know we just we don't remember it in the moment when somebody comes into your place of work and you know you're like a customer service person and they start screaming at you and they're like i i I need this (laughs) i need this And that upsets you because you didn't do anything wrong, but yet this person now standing in front of you screaming at you. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened to that person, right? Yeah. We're making it personal. We're making it about us, but they're the ones that are screaming. They're the ones that are upset. Why do you think that is? Something happened to them clearly. Mm-hmm. Something's going on in their life that's caused them to be this way. It has nothing to do with you. You were the only one making it personal and getting hung up on it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, sorry. I actually just had like a revel- like a something like totally connected in my head about <laughs> just then um, about something in my own life, um, something that I think I was making personal when really it was it had nothing to do with me. Um, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but you know, I I think you know what what. We're obviously the center of our own universes, and there's nothing wrong with that but i, I think we so often make ourselves the center of other people's universes as well and uh and we're not we're oftentimes afterthoughts in other people's universes, and I think we have a tendency to to take that very personally um and you you just you can't take that personally um that person has to live their life and do the things that make sense to them. I mean, you know, there are times when people do deliberately do things to hurt someone else. And, you know, when they do that, that's obviously bad, but I think that's not the case. 99% of the time people are just doing what feels right to them in that moment. Um, and I think realizing that has liberated me of a lot of negative feelings I've had towards people and allowed me to, instead of hold a grudge against someone because they did something that upset me, try to move forward with that relationship, you know, and maybe it's not as close of a relationship as I thought it would be. Maybe it is more of a a friend or an acquaintance and, you know, accepting that has, I think, saved me a lot of pain in my life. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so I I wanna talk a little bit more about your book. Um, so, So what was the moment that you decided to write a book and then did you have a very clear plan of what you wanted to do or was it, I've got all these ideas, I'm gonna write them down, let's see where things go?
1: Yeah, I'd say a mixture of both of those things. Um, I, you know, kind of like with the podcast, right? Like I just wanted to help people. I just wanted, for me, I see so much of the suffering in the world is fixable. You know, a part of it is that, you know, and this is part of my own journey too. When I started all of this, um, I was seeing myself as like a medic. I wanted to treat, you know, triage. I want to treat the wounded people and get them back into the game. But um, Something I've come to learn over all of this time is that it's not really my place. You know, some people will listen. And, it's, and for some people I can't help, but it's just not, it's not up to me. Mm-hmm. People need to suffer, right? How did I learn? I learned through my own pain and my own experiences. Nobody else's pain, nobody else's experience, no doctor, no therapist. I had to do it myself. And so It's good, you know, like there's lots of spiritual teachers, there's lots of spiritual books, and they're all just pieces of a puzzle that you put together yourself. And so I stopped trying to make it so much about me as I did try to make it as like, this is just a piece of a puzzle in your life, right? This, I could have written a 400 page book, you know, about all of this stuff to try to be like this thing, give people this big piece of their puzzle, right? But instead, no, I I just wanted to write something small, something to the point like I said, like that, instead of a big red pill, it just maybe a little baby Advil uh-huh. red pill. Something that just is enough to get you out of where you are into somewhere else. And, you know, as I was writing, it was, it was good for me to, you know, a lot of people have asked, like, you know, are you writing this book for you? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's not for me. Like, I know all of the things in this book. It's not mm-hmm. for me. It's for everyone else. And that's why I inevitably decided to give them away for free because it's just, I don't care. Like, money is such a... Dumb thing, in my opinion. Like, we have to have it, and we have to use it in this life, Mm -hmm. you know, at least for now. But this is something that I I could genuinely create and give it away for free. I could choose to do that, and I felt like that was so much better than you know wanting to charge people money for it. You know, how much more am I getting back by giving it away? And for every person that's read it and talked to me, and they're like, "Wow, you know, I really enjoyed that. um, That feels good." But I don't care if you enjoy it. I want to know: Did it change you? Mm -hmm. Did you you learn? Did you move from point A to point B? Did you step out of your shoes and see the rest of the world? Or are you still in your own shoes? That's what I would, that's what I hoped and wanted from this book, from this experience.
0: Awesome. Are are you still giving it away for free? Yes. Okay. So do you have a, like an audio book? Do you have the ebook? What
1: are, what are the options that you have so I've got the um, I've got a bunch of the physical copies here, okay. um, and I you know i totally cool. I have like a digital copy that I'm more than happy to send to anybody. But if anybody wants the book, uh, a physical copy or the digital, uh, just email me at hermitradio at gmail.com, and I will be more than happy to send it to you. Okay.
0: Well, I would I would love a copy of your book. Um, Absolutely. Yes, I. I, I i prefer physical copies of books um i don't i don't necessarily know why it feels like this emotional archaic thing that i i'm holding on to um and then it's such a pain in the ass when you move (laughs) because you've got all these books (laughs) um but i don't know for some reason the physical book for me um is what i prefer so yeah i would definitely i definitely love a copy um so did you work with a, what was your experience in, you know, going from, okay, I have like this giant Microsoft Word file into getting, you know, a, a physical copy of a book? Did you work with a publisher? Did you uh,
1: do it yourself? And what was that experience like? So I made it, it was really easy. My uh, my wife's mother um, also wrote a book and she okay. recommended this company called Forty uh, Forty Eight Hour Books. And it's all like a self-publishing kind of thing. So, I sent them my manuscript, and I purchased a package for however many books I wanted, and they got the ISBN number, which is like the barcode, mm-hmm. and they got the copyright stuff, all of that. And then they took my thing. I picked out my design, my pictures, my 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 picture for like the back,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the format that I wanted it to look like. And they and it's so and it was so quick too. It only wow. took like a week or two. And next thing I know, I've got this big box of books, you know. So it was great. It was a really easy, pleasant experience.
0: Wow, it's uh, you know, I'm sure it's easier when you, or I assume it's easier when you decide I'm not going to make money on this. I'm just going to give it away. Which, by the way, that's that's awesome of you to do. Um, you know, once I'm, sh- my assumption is, and I I do have some friend a friend that wrote a book, so I need to talk to him about this more. Is when you decide you know, I'm going to sell this and no disrespect to people who do that. Obviously, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to write a book. I I completely respect people wanting to be compensated for their time. Um, but my, my guess is, and I've been meaning to talk to them about this for a while is there's just contracts and lawyers and who gets what that gets involved. And it's, it, it seems like you really simplified the process by um deciding screw it i'm just gonna give it away (laughs) so yeah yeah that's 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 really interesting um so it's i'm kind of like amazed at how simple and easy this um this was was it was it expensive to do
1: i mean yeah it was more than what i thought It, Mm -hmm. it ended up being more than i it was going to be for sure especially since cuz originally I did originally I was going to sell it mm-hmm. um and I was going to go through like Amazon but it, the process of going through Amazon to sell the book uh it ended up being way more tedious than I had expected and it just it fr- honestly frustrated me okay. um and so I just gave I'm like you know what this is just a sign from the universe that I just need to give this sucker away for free uh-huh. so that's why I just gave up on on the whole selling thing but um Yeah, I mean, it was like $700 for 150 copies of my book. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in ways, yeah, it was expensive, especially to give it away. Mm -hmm. Originally when I was doing all of this, I was expecting it to be like closer to $500. And I was like, if I spend 500 and I make a couple hundred in profit from selling it, totally justified and worth it. Um, When it all came down in the end, I'm still happy I did it. but it was definitely not what I expected, and I, you know what? Maybe that was part of the process. You know what I mean? Like if I had known what was going to happen in the end, maybe I wouldn't have gone through with it. So it's kind of, kind of just worked out the way that it did.
0: That's interesting. I I love it when like you don't you go into something and it turns out, or you it turns out differently than expected. Like it's yeah. it's very boring to like know what's going to happen in life. It's very exciting when things turn out differently, I think. Um, so you said you worked on the book for a year, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and did, were you sort of very regimented in how you went about writing it or <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> no, there were days there were days where I try to sit down and force myself. I'm like, alright, I'm gonna write I'm going to get a thousand words written, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, because I knew from the beginning that I didn't want it to be this like super long book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep it between like, you know, I started with an ambitious, like I'm going to write it to be like 250 pages. Then it kind of went down to 200 and then I'm like, you know what? I, that's the kind of length of book that I like reading. But, mm-hmm. you know, I know there's a lot of people who don't really read books anymore. I'm like, if I can make a book with everything I need to say around hundred to 110 pages, like I think I can get people to read that, mm-hmm. so that's what I did. You know, I, I kept my ideas short. I kept them sweet. I kept my story short and sweet. And then I did get the book down to 110 pages. And I was like, I feel good about this. I feel like people could read this, and I feel overwhelmed. You know, I mean, most people. I mean, even me, I'm guilty of this. I've read a lot of books, and I don't remember half of what I read in them. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, it's fresh and new when you're reading it, but yeah, most people don't remember what they read. In those <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's that's uh, so has uh, putting has publishing a book and doing a podcast ha, has this brought along sort of unexpected things in
1: life for you? Sure, yeah. Like, um, I've met fans of my podcast at mm-hmm. my like place of work, people that like literally recognized my voice and like, hey, do you have a podcast? Do you talk about like being stuck in a traffic jam on your mm-hmm. podcast and I'm like yeah and they pull it up on their phone I'm like yeah that's <laughs> me I thought that was, you know that was pretty cool um mm-hmm. I've had fans reach out to me uh to, you know just say like thank you for doing what you do I really appreciate what you're saying like I you know I've gone through this in my life and now I'm, I'm doing this and so yeah lots of things like that were really cool and really nice um The book. Um, The thing is, is that this is, you know, a lot of people don't know me. And so this book, that's another reason I want to give it out for free is I want people to get to know me because I, I'm, this isn't it. You know, I'm going to write more books. I'm going to probably do more podcasts. And I just, the more people that I can reach the better because I'm just, I'm not going to change anybody's life. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fix anybody, but I can give people the tools to fix themselves. I can give them the pieces that they're missing.
0: Do you have um, ideas for books currently planned out and in motion? Or are those sort
1: of more thoughts in your head? Yeah, I've got a bunch of different ideas for different books I want to write. um, And I come up with new ones all the time. But with school, I try to not – that was what made school hard for me at at the beginning was trying to write this book too because I was stressing myself out. So what I plan to do is in the summers when I'm off – like for a break or whatever is to write in the summers to write more books in the summertime. Okay. Um, but I've also just been kind of taking a break. Like since I finished this one, I've just been kind of enjoying the fact that I, you know, finally published a book and giving it out to people and doing all the things that come with that, doing the podcast interviews. I've done a lot of them in the last couple months.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. So, um, what's been, so you're, so, you know, we, we, got in touch over Reddit. Um what's been your experience just going meeting with random people and uh being on their podcasts and how you know do they tend to kind of be all the same or are they all kinda different? You know, I'm I'm always very interested in um in the perspective from the other person.
1: Yeah, I I would say usually they're they're pretty much the same, you know. Um but I've definitely been on a couple where I really, just one, and I don't want to like name drop them, but I went on went on a podcast, and they clearly didn't really know who I was or what I was talking about. And when we were getting into that, I was blowing their minds. Mm-hmm. I, I was talking about things that they clearly didn't like had th- not thought about before, mm-hmm. or like it, it, I could see that like what they wanted to talk about was like these worldly things, you know, politics and ah, you know, mm-hmm. and, like you know, that's not real, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the time is not real. Your money's not real. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Uh But, um, for the most part, you know, everybody, everybody wants to know these things, right? They want to know about me. But what, you know, what I'm always waiting for is for somebody to ask the right questions, right? Because, and here we go. I'll Mm -hmm. I'll just ask you. Okay. Who who are you?
0: Man. Who am I? That's, I, it's such a hard, it's, it's, a, it's the simple question, but it's really, it's the hard question. Um, just, I'm Michael. Give me the simple answer. I'm just, uh, just a guy with, uh, in grad school with a podcast <laughs> and a dog, I guess. Um, That's what you are, okay. but who are you? <laughs> yeah. I I never thought I would struggle so much with this question. I I guess I don't even know how to answer the question, who? What feels natural? I don't know. I'm figuring that out every day, I think.
1: (laughs) When I ask people that Mm -hmm. question, their usual response is, well, I'm me. Uh And then I continue the question, well, who is me? That's usually followed by with their name. But what is... So like for me, Cameron, right? Yeah. Who is Cameron? What is Cameron? It's an identity. Does that make it real? Are you actually who you think you are?
0: (laughs) Well, what do you you think the answer to that question is? Or uh, do you think you are
1: who you think you are? No. Okay. (laughs) I didn't pick my name. Mm -hmm. Cameron wasn't I mean that's not what I picked that's something that somebody gave me right? Mm -hmm. so then when you think of something as simple as your name and that you didn't pick it, you were given it then you can start to dissect all of the other little things about you like why do you like the color green Mm -hmm. why do you like spaghetti and you can trace all of those things back to somewhere when you were a kid right? well I had spaghetti, my mom made it one time, okay and then you do you realize all of those things right they're all just pieces of an identity that you're pretending to be but what's beneath that that's the most genuine question in the universe because everybody is just pretending to be somebody the question mm-hmm. is who are you pretending to be and what's underneath <laughs> that
0: well, you definitely gave me something to think about with that one um <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's a very hard question, um, but I, probably a very fruitful question to ponder, um, and one that's difficult. Like, it's, you know, there's this um, I notion in psychology, I'm in grad school for psychology, called cognitive dissonance, sure. which is essentially when there's a gap between who you think you are and what your behavior suggests there's a tension and then to resolve that tension you usually the easiest thing to switch is your attitude so you're you switch your attitude to match your behavior so you know i i guess i don't like to think too much about the question of who am i or who is someone um i i i t- tend to be um, somewhat reductionist in my thinking about those very big questions like, well, I'm a body with a brain in it and neurons that are communicating with each other and coming up with ideas, and I'm not necessarily those ideas, but they're a part of me. Um, And I'm like this physical space but like there's also pictures of me and videos of me so like in a way those are me as well and I'm like also a reflection of the people around me and they're a reflection of me as well so you know it's I think it it is easy to come up with the simple answers for that question Um, but it's also it's fruitful and fun to I guess really let yourself go and think about the the borderline crazy ways of answering that question. So wait, sure. how do you, how do you go about answering that question?
1: If you were to ask me that question, mm-hmm. who are you? I would say nothing.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> Cuz everything else is just made up. Okay. You have a body. You have a mind that is thinking relentlessly. Do you, but question is do you identify with it and if you do does that make it real or is it just you're identifying with it much like what i talked about with thoughts earlier Mm -hmm. now there is you're right there is no one way to answer that but it is something to think about because what that does is it challenges people and who they think that they are right like when you ask somebody who are you they might say i'm a you know i'm brad and i'm a democrat right Mm -hmm. (laughs) people think that that's their identity, that that's all that is what's important. And the idea of nothing is also interesting because there is no such thing as nothing either. There's no place in the universe where nothing exists. Mm -hmm. Even in the air around you, there's still particles, atoms, neutrons, organisms floating. There is no such thing as nothing. Mm -hmm. Even in my hand, you could say there's nothing in my hand, but that's not the same as saying there's nothing because there's still air. There's still organisms, right? If you were to use an a, a electron microscope to look at my hand, you would see organisms, bacteria, and things moving around in there, uh-huh. right? But there's nowhere in the universe where nothing exists.
0: Wow. <laughs> that's um, that's definitely a lot to think about. Um <laughs> i was it's i think it's funny i was t- i was trying talking about something very tangible like you're publishing your book and then now we're all we're way off in left field um so i'm i'm cur- curious have you gone on like meditation retreats or have you used substances to augment your your thinking about these things or is this just kind of This is just something that comes naturally to you, and you just you can go in near your garage or your bedroom and turn out the lights and just think about this stuff. You know what what's what's been sort of your
1: journey in this, the way of thinking. If if I'm being honest, Mike, I'm Mm -hmm. guilty of having a lot of free time. Okay, (laughs) being able to go to school and being able to work a part time job, I've been blessed. Right, like why Mm -hmm. do people not have these thoughts? Because they're working too hard. Uh When they're done working, they don't want to think about. The tangibleness of the universe and the fact that there's no such thing as nothing and that time isn't real, because that means nothing to them. But for me, I've always been somebody, even as a kid, I've always been somebody who challenges the mainstream idea of things. You know, I always wanted to know more. I'm always like, well, what's out in space? And what is this? And what is that? What is God? You know, like I've always been that person. But I'm just in a place now where I have time to be able to do that, I have time to be able to think and to challenge those ideas and for meditation meditation is it's kind of like when you're trying to get from one side of the river to the other Mm -hmm. right you're over here on point a and you're trying to get to point b but right in the middle is is the river meditation is the little raft that you use to get to the other side meditation is only useful as a tool it doesn't it really doesn't change anything Mm -hmm. Meditation allows you to slow down your thinking. It has an effect on your actual body. It slows down your heart rate, all of those things. Those are all good things. But it's not so much that's not what's important. They're all part of it. What is it you're trying to do? You're trying to remember or realize who you are. When you slow down your heart rate, when you slow down your breathing, when you slow down your thoughts, that is the, the fundamental importance Of meditation is slowing everything down. Mm -hmm. Because we're so busy trying to speak things up, we're trying to be older, we're trying to get through this year, we're just trying to get through the day. Nobody slows down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's such an emphasis on getting where you're going and getting there as fast as you can. Um but I found slowing down and accepting you'll get there when you get there. It's a very liberating attitude to have, at least at least for me it is, um, you know, so, some people feel they need to go as fast as they can all the time, um, and I, I guess I can't speak for them. Um, but, yeah, we just, we, we have such an tendency to rush towards wherever we feel like we're going. And to just take a take a deep breath and slow down and accept where you are, and you'll get where you're going when you get there. It's like it's this it's so simple but it's so powerful,
1: yeah, I mean it's anxiety, yeah, you're rushing to get somewhere because you're anxious, you're rushing to get through your day because you're anxious right you're rushing to get to your job because you're anxious you're you know rushing to get to dinner because you're anxious right and People think that anxiety has to mean, means that it has to be you're anxious about these big things. But no, you can be anxious about what you're going to eat for dinner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can be anxious about your doctor's appointment. You're going to drive in traffic in the rain. Whatever it is, you can be anxious of all of those things. But anxiety doesn't necessarily help. The only thing that anxiety can do for you is show you where you're not. Because when you're in anxiety, when you're feeling anxious... That means you're not feeling contentment. Mm -hmm. Everything has a purpose, including your anxiety. You just have to realize what it is. If you're feeling your anxiety, let that be a tool to remind you that you are here and not over here.
0: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I love the idea of reframing something that seems so negative and turning it into something positive because, you know, if you're not having any anxiety in life, then either you've You've achieved complete spiritual enlightenment, and you're the one percent of the one percent. <laughs> um, or it means you're just you're blocking out your emotions, probably for ninety nine percent of people. And so you know we all experience anxiety. You know you might as well use it as a tool for growth. So I really like that way of thinking about anxiety. Um, do you have? S- a similar way of restructuring things like depression or anger or anything like that? If you, I'd, I'd love to hear it.
1: It's the same concept. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling anger, right? I mean, there's lots of things you can do with anger, right? Usually, if, and a lot of people will probably fight me on this, but this is why I would win because I just wouldn't fight. Okay, There's no point. If you want to argue, have at it. Like, I have no need to argue with you. Anger is you holding on to something, right? Like, cause think about time you've gotten angry, what's it been over, right? Mm-hmm. If you're getting angry involving another person, it's usually over something that you don't agree on or you're trying to be right. Okay. Do you want right to be, mm-hmm. be right or do you want to be free? This is a concept for enlightenment. Do you want to be right or do you want to be free? If you want to be free, then give up the need to be right yeah. because being right means nothing. Being right is only a matter of opinion. It doesn't mean anything. And being angry, again, if you're angry, that means that you're not at peace. It means that you're not content. Whether it's with somebody else or when you stub your toe, right? Even if you stub your toe, think about it this way. You stub your toe, ah, I'm angry. What is that? That's a reminder that you're not at peace. You're not content. Mm-hmm. And you, you brought up a good point that I'd like to use again. Your first reaction is probably unavoidable. But your second reaction—that's where you can make the yeah. change. That's where you can make a difference. So yes, get angry. Ah! But then your second reaction should be, "Oh, I'm angry again. Let me calm down."
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I guess if if you had to boil your whole thought process down to one thing, what would it be? Or what what would be if you could give people one thing to take away?
1: That's a great yeah, question. Thank you. <laughs> That's probably the best question I've ever been asked. Wow! Um, thank you. <laughs> if I could sum it down to one thing. Hmm. If I could sum it all down to one thing. You know, there's probably a bunch of like philosophical, metaphysical, mind-blowing things that I could say, but I think the simplest one has already been said. Mm-hmm. Over life whether you get just this one or you get another one and you reincarnate, whatever it is, it's short. You don't get a lot of it, not as much as you'd think and not as much as you'd hope. And if you only get this one, don't waste it being miserable. Mm-hmm. Do what makes you happy. Seriously. There is no reason to not. I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm not telling you to, to run away from your problems. Just reorganize how you see these things. Like I mentioned about anger and sadness, all of that stuff is like compost, right? We take the junk, the garbage, we turn it into compost, and that compost is used for growth of mm-hmm. plants. Use your anger, your sadness, and your misery as compost to better your life because you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really awesome perspective, um, Cameron. This has been super fun, super enlightening. Um, why don't you take a second to uh, just mention your podcasts and your book and anything else that you want to promote?
1: Yeah, um, if you want to find my podcasts um, or just to learn a bit, of, a bit more about me, you can go to my website, hermitcast.com. Uh, my podcast is Hermit Radio and Taking Back Happiness, and you can find those wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want a copy of my book, um, just email me because that's how I'm just giving them away. So if you want one, just email me at hermitradio at com. That's on my website, too. And like I said, if you have, or if you even have questions, if you want to learn more about what I'm talking about, just send me a message. But yeah.
0: All right, well, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I would love to have you back on. This has been uh, both challenging and a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, I will say most guests don't challenge me to, to think uh, in, in the ways that you have. So thank you for that. Um, and so thank yeah, Thank, thank you. And
1: uh, best of luck to you um, hearing your podcast and your future pursuits. All right, yeah, Thank you for having me on Be great and I would be happy to come on whenever you'd like. All right, awesome. Well thank you for listening, everyone. Bye.